Hello and welcome to Abe Mus Papam, episode 211, Innocent the Eighth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis! Annuncio Vobis! Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum! Gaudium Magnum! Gaudium Magnum! Abe Mus Papam! Well, we have had some disappointing popes, and unfortunately, we're in the thick of a bunch of them. Today's pope is no exception. His name is Giovanni Battista Cibo. He was born in Genoa in 1432, the son of a minor noble and diplomat for the city-state of Genoa. His father served in various administrative positions throughout Italy, both in his native Genoa and in the kingdom of Naples, and Giovanni followed him around as a young child, experiencing the various courts of Italy. Giovanni lived the life of many young nobles at this time. He was sent to study at the university, because that's what you do. He lived a fairly promiscuous life, fathering two children while he was still young, Franceschetto and Teodina, and he was not married, but he also doesn't seem to have thought about a career in the church until his father died in 1457. He soon moved to Rome and entered the service of the Cardinal Bishop of Bologna, where he attracted the notice of the papacy. Pope Paul II made him the Bishop of Savona in 1466, though like most Roman clerics, he didn't actually reside in his diocese, but maintained his position in Rome itself. It seemed that with all the turmoil of the Renaissance Church and Renaissance Italy, the new Bishop Chibo realized he needed guidance and protection, and so he hitched his wagon to the influential Cardinal Giuliano della Rovere, one of the nephews of Pope Sixtus IV that we met last week. Pope Bishop Chibo had learned from his father how to be a diplomat, and that diplomatic temperament served him well. Cardinal Giuliano used his influence with his uncle to promote Chibo in all sorts of important positions in Rome. Everyone seemed to get along with him pretty well. Pope Sixtus, at Cardinal Giuliano's urging, went so far as to name Chibo as a cardinal in 1473. He was in turn loyal to Cardinal Giuliano, and he was a firm supporter of his faction in the Roman Curia. And we don't hear too much about Cardinal Chibo's time as a cardinal until the death of Pope Sixtus IV in August of 1484. You may remember from last week, this came in the midst of chaos in northern Italy as the papacy was still in conflict with the Colonna family, which had revolted during Sixtus IV's war against Venice. And it took some time to organize a conclave because of the upheaval of the situation and the number of various Italian nobles, including Sixtus's own nephew, Girolamo Riario, who wanted to impose their will on the cardinals and force who the Pope would be. But once the conclave got started, there were two main factions, those devoted to Cardinal Borgia, the vice chancellor, and those devoted to Cardinal Giuliano de la Rovere. Now, we've seen this happen before. Two powerful cardinals with firm and devoted factions go at each other. And usually it's some nondescript compromise candidate which makes it through. Someone everyone likes, doesn't ruffle too many feathers. Well, Cardinal Giuliano de la Rovere knew that too, and he used it to his advantage. Rather than promoting himself, he had his faction vote for the Venetian Cardinal Barbo, nephew of Pope Paul II, until the other side started to get nervous. The papacy had just fought a war with Venice. How could we have a Venetian pope at this point? Then, just when the tensions were highest, Cardinal della Rovere put forth his compromise candidate, Cardinal Chibo. Working throughout the night, he convinced the holdouts that Cardinal Chibo would be a good compromise, even though he was scrupulously loyal to Cardinal della Rovere. On August 29th, the cardinals officially elected Giovanni Battista Chibo, and he took the name Innocent VIII. Now, you can already tell how this papacy is going to go. Added to all the conflict and financial straits given to him by Pope Sixtus IV, Pope Innocent VIII really didn't have the personality or the political capital to be an effective pope from the beginning. He was not a leader, and he spent most of his papacy being controlled by two very different powers. The first, of course, was Cardinal della Rovere, who basically ran things in Rome at the beginning of the papacy of Innocent. He moved into the papal palace himself with the new pope, 
made sure his brothers and nephews controlled key positions, and guided all of the Pope's activities. The Pope himself was weak, corrupt, focused on the secular advancement of his family, and still living a scandalous lifestyle. He was pushed about by his advisors, and his pontificate saw the decline in the prestige and indeed the real spiritual respect given to the papacy. When he took office, he was faced with open war between the Orsini and Colonna families in and around Rome, and he tried to bring peace between them, but it was totally ineffective. He then decided, at the instigation of Cardinal della Rovere, to pick a fight with Naples. The instigation was petty and minor, but the result was disastrous. As the Pope prepared for the conflict from his side, King Ferrante of Naples made a deal with the Orsini family to bring them into the conflict. Their hated rivals, the Colonna, were closer to Cardinal del Rovere, so it made sense that they would turn against him and the Pope at this juncture. And then added to that mix was Lorenzo de' Medici of Florence, who advised Ferrante and the Orsini on how best to defeat the Pope. Open hostilities began in November of 1485. The situation looked dire with the Orsini family troops seeming to cut Rome off from supplies, but the quick action of Cardinal della Rovere helped save the situation. Other European powers got pulled in and no one seemed to be winning, but the people of Rome and the Papal States were suffering enough that the Pope had to sue for peace. He didn't achieve anything by the war at all, just destruction. The peace treaty was seen as a joke and all of Italy seemed against him, and the Pope decided he needed a new helper. And he turned, where people least expected, to Lorenzo de' Medici. Now, last episode, Pope Sixtus's nephew tried to assassinate Lorenzo. And this time, he has been advising the Pope's enemies. And he was, in particular, hated by another one of Pope Sixtus's nephews, the great papal advisor, Cardinal della Rovere. But Lorenzo worked some magic and managed to convince the Pope of building an alliance with his family through the marriage of the Pope's illegitimate son, Franceschetto, with his daughter, Magdalena. The Pope celebrated the wedding himself in Rome openly with a large banquet held in honor in 1487, which scandalized the people of Rome who expected the Pope to at least keep his illegitimate children out of public view. With this marriage, Lorenzo de' Medici came to dominate papal politics. As part of the deal, Pope Innocent made Lorenzo's 13-year-old son Giovanni de' Medici a cardinal, which again was outrageous that a cardinal would be so young. The alliance, however, was unable to help the Pope keep control of his own territory, which kept revolting or being conquered off and on through the rest of his papacy. Now, there's one final moment of shame to be discussed with Innocent's papacy, and that's surrounding the crusade. For the past couple of episodes, the popes have been trying to get a crusade going to repulse the Turks who were moving through Christian Balkans. Innocent openly negotiated with the Turkish sultan and even kept his brother, who claimed the Turkish throne for himself, as a prisoner in Rome on behalf of the Turkish sultan. The pope had thought of using the prisoner in a general crusade against his brother, but accepted a payment by the sultan in exchange for keeping him locked up in Rome. But when Grenada and Spain, the last Muslim holdout in the Iberian Peninsula, fell to the forces of Isabella and Ferdinand, Pope Innocent used this as an opportunity to show firmness to the Turkish sultan and threaten to attack if they didn't back down. It wouldn't, however, come to too much. The on-and-off-again conflict with Naples consumed the rest of his papacy, which was afflicted by instances of poor health, which left those around him concerned for his life, Peace treaty was struck, however, and one of the Pope's nephews married one of King Ferrante's nieces. But the Pope by now was just in bad shape. He died on the 25th of July, 1492. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica. His, po his tomb can still be seen today. He was succeeded by another pretty problematic Pope, Pope Alexander VI, and we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Abbe Moose Popham. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.